Welcome to Transpo, the travel inspiration podcast. Today we have Marie Feebach. Welcome, Marie. Hello there, Heather. I'm so happy to be here. I'm so excited to have you on today. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your relationship with travel? Sure. I am a 40-something married mother of four children, and I have done a little bit of travel in my life, traveled a little bit internationally when I was in high school, did kind of the standard high school trip. And then one year of my life, I actually took a year off of college and worked with a ministry group and I traveled across the country. So that was really fun because I got to see how people really live rather than the um, touristy type of places. And then other than that, our travel has been pretty simple, close to where we are to home, except for this one trip that I'm going to tell you about today that I have dreamt of for 15 years. And I was able to execute this trip. And that's kind of what I want to talk to you about today. That's awesome. Let's jump right into it. So you've been thinking about it for 15 years. Why is that? The vision for this trip started in 2000 when my sister was taking a semester abroad and she was in Austria. And in January that year, she took a side trip to Krakow, Poland. And Krakow is very close to where the Nazi concentration camp Auschwitz is. And Inside Auschwitz, there is a death cell where a saint named Maximilian Kolbe died. He was in a group and a prisoner had escaped. And as a punishment, the SS officers sentenced six people to death by starvation, which is the most horrific death that you can have for somebody. It can take up to two weeks and it's a very horrible, horrible death. And there was a man who said, I have a wife, I have a child. And this Polish priest who was in this concentration camp went up to the SS officer and said, I am a scum Polish priest. Won't you let me take the place of this strong man who can work for you? And the SS officer did something that's completely unprecedented and let this priest take the place. And so my sister was visiting Auschwitz and she went to this death cell in the basement of this concentration camp and took a picture. I had had a couple of miscarriages and was really wanting to have a baby very badly. And she prayed for me there. And a couple months later, I got pregnant and I had a little boy and we named him Maximilian Colby after this priest who had died in this death camp. And so I always dreamed of taking my son back to this place where my sister took a picture and prayed that I would have a baby. And that was the beginnings of my idea for this trip. That's so lovely and so personal. Oh, it, it just is. And it it's just a real, real blessing. And so kind of to fast forward a little bit, I now have four children. And as I named them, circumstances happened that I named them all after people that were European saints. And so I've dreamed of taking our four children to the homeland of the places of the people they were named after. So my oldest child is Maximilian and he's 15 years old. And this year was kind of our magical year to take this trip because he was 15. So he wasn't 16. So he didn't have a real like social security paying job. And I happened to have a job this year that was a temporary contract job that allowed me to save all of my income. We lived off my husband's income and I was able to save my entire income to take this two-week European vacation to several locations. So we went to Poland 
to see Auschwitz where Maximilian Kolbe died. My daughter is named after someone named Gianna Beretta Mola. And we went to her homeland, which is a teeny tiny village in Italy outside of Milan. And then my two daughters are twins. They're named Agnes and Claire. And we named them after Agnes and Claire of Assisi. And Assisi is in central Italy. So the whole trip was to go to these three places. And we started in Krakow, Poland. We flew to Krakow and our family instantly fell in love with Poland. I am like the American ambassador for Poland. Poland (laughs) is a place that loves Americans and everything is crazy inexpensive. Everybody speaks English. Poland is easy, easy, easy to navigate. It is so much fun. We spent three nights in Poland and visited lots of different things, but the most important place that we went to was we went to Auschwitz, which was a Nazi concentration camp where like 1.3 million people were recorded to have passed away. And going to Auschwitz was a very, very touching experience for our family. My youngest were 11. And so we really had to prepare them for what they were going to see there. So we spent the entire year getting ready for this trip, preparing them for what Auschwitz was going to be like. And I really expected to feel evil there. But what's very interesting is we did not feel that. What we really felt was redemption. And the place was so full of beauty and so full of remembrance. And it was very, very, very crowded. And one of my main goals there was I wanted to get a picture of my son in the exact position that this picture of my sister had been taken. That was something that I really, really wanted. And they wouldn't allow you to take pictures inside. When my sister was there 15 years ago, It was not a very large attraction. They would have like two or 300,000 people a year that would visit it. Now they have like 2 million people a year that visit. And our tour guide was saying since 2008, it has just skyrocketed how many people are coming to visit Auschwitz. Everybody has these headphones and you're with your guide and they're speaking in your language because there's all sorts of different guided languages going around. So you have headphones and you are being herded through these rooms, room after room, hearing about how these people were herded room after room. But you also saw that the world is never going to let this mistake happen again. It was very, very touching. It was very beautiful. And in the meantime, I told my tour guide, I said, I need this picture. And he said, you can't take pictures down there. And I said, I need this picture. Yeah, you flew across the globe for this picture. (laughs) Right. And he said, okay, I'm going to be at the front of the line. And what happens at the back of the line is beyond me. I said, very well, thank you very much. (laughs) And so we were at the back of the line. I had my phone exactly ready. And I had my son kneel down exactly where it was. I snapped two pictures very, very fast. And then I moved on. But what was very, very special about the day that we were there was that it was the 77th anniversary of the day this particular priest, Maximilian Kolbe, entered the concentration camp. And so all of these friars that were in their habits brought fresh flowers to his death cell. So it was decorated very, very beautifully. And And the whole place was buzzing about how it was a special day. And we didn't plan it that way. I didn't even know that it was. So it was this beautiful gift to have a picture of my son where it all started for him. 
and that the whole place was buzzing about Maximilian Colby that day because the friars were on site taking flowers to this death cell. And we just kept thinking that the light shines in the darkness and the darkness will not overcome it. Yeah, that's incredible. Oh, it was it was amazing. And it was so, so good. So that was our experience in Poland. And then from Poland, we flew from Poland to Milan. And Milan was just one of those things where everything was hard. <laughs> we we got on our plane and the plane sat on the tarmac for like two hours. So we got into Milan late and trying to find our rental car. I had my rental car agreement all done and we couldn't find the right rental car place. And then when we found the rental car place, my husband needed to have his American driver's license. And we had gotten him an international driver's license through AAA. So we figured that would be enough. But they were like, that's not enough. And mm. so I thought in my heart that I had packed my husband's driver's license just in case. So we are in the middle of this food court in the Milan airport, ripping through my underwear and my intimates, <laughs> trying to find to see if I had tucked away my husband's driver's license. We find his driver's license and I had planned this entire trip. I had done everything for it. My husband hadn't done any of it. And the one thing I'd asked him to do is I said, get the driving directions printed out from the Milan airport to this place in this teeny tiny village that we were going to stay. Yep. So this village that we are staying in, you can't really get there by train. And I had planned to do train. And when I was planning for this trip, I was telling lots of people about it. And I happened to be at my physician's office. And I was telling her that we were going to go see the place where Gianna Emanuela was. And my physician said, I've been there and you cannot take a train there and you're not going to be able to find these sites unless you have someone help you. And so she said, I've got the people and I'm going to send you an email. So the person that my daughter is named after, her name is Gianna Beretta Mola. And she was a physician in the 1960s, a woman physician in the 1960s in Italy. And she was married with four children and she got pregnant with her fifth child and she got uterine cancer. Mm. And the doctors wanted her to abort her baby so that they could treat the uterine cancer. And she said, I, I don't want to do that. And it came down to where she knew she was going to die. And she told her husband, Pietro, she said, Pietro, if it comes down to me or the baby, I need you to save the baby. And so fast forward, she makes it through her pregnancy, delivers her baby, who she named after her. She named her Gianna Emanuela. And eight days later, Gianna died, but the baby mm -hmm. lived. Gianna Emanuela lives in this teeny tiny village where her parents grew up. And my physician happened to have her email from a group email from this trip she had taken. Wow. And so I just sent Gianna Emanuela an email saying, my daughter is named after your mother. We want to come visit the holy sites of your mother. Would you be available to show us around? Or do you know someone who can? And I put a picture of our family in this email. So she didn't think I was creepy, weird, someone from America, right? I mean, <laughs> you know, she doesn't know me from Adam and she's getting this random email. And the next day I get an email back saying, I am in town. I would be happy to meet you. I would be happy to take your family around. And so my daughter got to meet the person that she's named after that she died for. Wow. But in the meantime, this is the middle of nowhere, Italy. There are no hotels. There are no Airbnbs. 
And so through my connections, through this person that I just emailed out of the blue, we found this church that has a retreat center next to it. Okay. And they said, okay, we can give you accommodations. And so we're going back and forth with Google Translate because they don't speak any English and I speak no (laughs) Italian. And we find this place that we're going to stay. So I had my husband get directions from the airport to where we're going to stay. But what he didn't realize is there's two airports in Milan Mm. and he got directions from the wrong airport. And that's when I was so glad I had an iPhone. (laughs) (laughs) And I said, I don't care what it costs. I put my GPS on. I typed in the place that we were going. We were tired. (laughs) We were cranky. We were hungry. We were overwhelmed. It took us forever to get to this rental car. And this rental car is a giant utility van. It was bigger than a minivan, almost the size of like a 15 passenger van. Yeah, it's like you're delivering something. (laughs) Right, right. And Italian streets are teeny, teeny, tiny and very, very narrow. And so we're using this GPS and we get to this place, to this village that's about 45 minutes outside of Milan. We get to this village and we see the church steeple. So we know we have to get to the church. We get to the church steeple and we walk around and we park. And I take out my paper that this email communication and this guy, comes up and I point to him and he points to me and I point to him and I show him the paper. He's like, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> and, he, and he says, now you have to go around. Well, my husband couldn't get the car in reverse. So oh, no. note to anybody out there, if you're ever driving a Fiat, you have to pull up the stick shift to get it into reverse. You actually have to lift it up. And we didn't know that. So this <laughs> other kid who speaks English comes in and he helps us and he figures out how to get the car into reverse. And we go around and we park in the front. And this is a gated community. It's this whole gated courtyard and we park and it's nine o'clock at night. We're tired, we're hungry, we're cranky. And we said, are there still restaurants opening? And they said, oh, it's Italy. They just opened. And we (laughs) walk down this little path and this village outside of Milan is right on a river. And all of the yuppie urbanites from Milan come here and they kayak. And so there's three really nice restaurants in the middle of nowhere because the yuppies will come and they'll kayak and then they'll go to these nice restaurants there. Nice. Works in your favor. (laughs) Oh, it totally worked in our favor. And we had the best meal of our life. First of all, we were tired. We were hungry. We were cranky. So everything would taste good in that situation no matter what. But we hadn't eaten a lot of vegetables when we were in Poland for the three days before. And my kids were just craving vegetables. And so we ordered, my son ordered a ribeye and my daughter ordered a filet. And then the rest of us ordered chicken and we kind of didn't know what we were getting. And they bring out this giant cast iron, like a paella pan that's like two feet wide, full of bone in chicken with all of these roasted vegetables. Mm. And we just lap up. Everything's dripping in olive oil and dripping in chicken juices. And we just like eat every last bit of it. We're just lapping it up. And it was the most wonderful, wonderful meal. My kids still crave the chicken from Macero and they just keep, they still talk about it to this day. So we had this lovely meal and then we went back to this retreat center and we went to bed and everybody was on twin beds. My girls had a room all to themselves and my son had his very own room. And then my husband and I had the only time we had a room to ourselves with there, but we were sleeping in twin beds, which was just 
hilarious. <laughs> but we slept really well. And then I'd gotten up the next morning and had planned an hour for to drive to this other little village where we were going to meet Gianna Emanuela. Okay. And I'd planned an hour, but the drive was only supposed to take 20 minutes. And we go out and the gate's locked. And we don't know how to get out. And we're trying to figure out how to open the gate. This place is a ghost town because it's early in the morning. And in Italy, no one is moving before 10 a.m. They (laughs) all stay up crazy late at night, but nobody is moving before 10 a.m. And so we're trying to figure out how to get out of the gate. And we're looking at sensors. We're trying to find buttons. And finally, my husband says, let's go see if there's someone at that restaurant we went to last night that might be baking or getting ready or something that can figure out how to unlock this gate. So there was a bar kind of right there. And there was a guy that was making a delivery to the bar. And my husband in kind of with gestures and stuff figures out that there's a button like way inside this gated community. You know, we're talking like a half a block away from where the actual gate is. So we push the button and one of us goes and stands in front of the sensor. So the gate gets out and we get out and we barely make it in time to meet Gianna Emanuela. And we were going to meet at this basilica, this big giant church in Magenta. Magenta is named after the Battle of Magenta where the blood flowed. And if you know the color magenta, it's kind of like a reddish pink color. And so we were in magenta and we see her and we're driving around in loops trying to find a parking place. And she waves to us. And finally, I tell my husband after about the third time around, I said, I'm hopping out and I'm going to ask her where we can park. And she runs up to me and she gives me a big hug. And she had brought this religious sister with her who spoke perfect American English. And so I said, come get in the car with me. And so they got in the car with me and they took us to where their cars were. And we parked there. And then they took us around to all of these sites of her mother. So the basilica is where her mother got married. And then we went to her childhood home where her uncle was a physician. And that's where Gianna Beretta Mola met her husband, Pietro. He was a patient of her uncle's and that's how they met. And then we went to this high school where she worked with the young girls in the village and helped them and kind of mentored them. And then we had lunch and then we drove to the town where Gianna Emanuela grew up with her father and her brothers and sisters. And we got to see the factory that her father ran. And then we went to her grave. And this family had lost three people in three years. So Pietro had lost his sister, his wife, and a daughter who died from a strep infection. And so he built this mausoleum. And the mausoleum was the size of like my kitchen. Like it was a really large mausoleum out of the most beautiful blue granite you have ever seen. And he had taken his parents and put them in this mausoleum along with his daughter and his wife and his sister and had these gorgeous gold mosaics inside. What he didn't know when he built this mausoleum is that his wife was eventually going to be canonized in the Catholic Church as a saint. And so now they have this beautiful place and his father's grave marker, he turned into an altar. So there was an altar inside this beautiful place. And we stopped there and we got to say a prayer. And then we went to Gianna Emanuela's home. And that was the place where her mother practiced medicine. So this was a family home that she now lives in. And we got to see it. 
And Gianna Emanuela, my 13-year-old curmudgeon-like daughter, said (laughs) she is the most kind, bubbliest, happy person you have ever met in your entire life. And I couldn't agree more. She was so genuine and so kind and so gracious and so happy to be alive because she knew that her mother died for her. And she loves sharing the story of her mother. And she left us with a suitcase full of gifts to bring home to share the story of her mother when we came back to the United States. And it was just the most amazing experience. So my son went to the homeland where someone died for someone else. My daughter went to the homeland of her saint. My twins are named Agnes and Claire. And from Milan, we took a train to Rome and we spent four days in Rome just doing all of the Rome stuff. And that was fun. It was wonderful. And then we took a train to Assisi. And the train from Rome to Assisi was not as easy as the train from Milan to Rome. The train from Rome to Assisi, I did not realize my tickets required a transfer. Mm. And we got on this train and it kept saying, we're going to Fallujah. And I said, okay, but we're supposed to be going to Assisi. And I'm looking on the map. I'm spending the whole time saying, okay, Fallujah's on the way to Assisi, but this train says it ends at Fallujah. And we get to Fallujah and the train stops and we have to get off. And I realized we have to make a transfer in Fallujah. Fallujah is the middle of nowhere, Italy. There is not a soul in sight. There's a train station without anybody working. And there happens to be this one lady standing by these stairs. And she was Irish. She was beautiful, red hair, fair skin. And I looked at my husband. I said, all right, let's pray that she speaks English. So I go up to her and I say, do you speak English? She goes, I do. And it was great, perfect English. And I said, we're trying to get to Assisi and we don't know. She goes, do you know your train number? I said, no. (laughs) She said, do you know what train you're supposed to be on? And I said, no. She goes, give me a minute. She types on her phone and she looks, she goes, oh, I'm going your way. The train leaves in 22 minutes off of platform two. We have to go downstairs. And she walked with my family and helped us get all of our luggage on. She sat right next to me on that train to make sure that we got off at the right stop. And it was just the biggest gift. And I am so grateful for the kindness of a stranger because there's no way we would have made it onto that right train without her help. Yeah, that's definitely so sweet of her. And sometimes strangers do come as total gifts and completely help in those times of need while you're traveling. Oh my goodness. I just, she was so kind and so generous and just completely at the right place at the right time. And just, you know, sat right next to me, was so kind to talk to my little girls. And and so we made it to Assisi. And Assisi is a town where there's kind of two towns in one. There's the modern town that sits at the bottom of the hill, and that's where the train station is. And then there's the old Assisi, which is the ancient town from the 1200s, and that sits at the top of the hill. Most of the basilicas and holy sites and touristy things are at the top of the hill. And so we took a cab up to our hotel, which was right in the middle of the top of the hill. And we went out to dinner that night and got up the next morning and started seeing some of the sites. My daughter is named Claire after St. Claire of Assisi, and she founded a religious order called the Poor Clares. 
And what a lot of people don't know is she had a sister named Agnes, a biological sister named Agnes, who took over the order after Claire died, who also became a saint. And so when I was naming my twin girls, I wanted their names to be matchy-matchy without being matchy-matchy. Yeah. And so I named them Agnes and Claire after Agnes and Claire of Assisi. And so we went to the Basilica of St. Clair, and inside the Basilica, there was a chapel dedicated to St. Agnes. And so I got pictures of my daughters in front of the chapels after their saints that they were named after. And we went down, and they keep the relics, which are like the bones of these saints inside the chapels. And so we went, and in the basement, there was the relics of the body of St. Clair, but we didn't exactly find where the exact relics of St. Agnes were. And my daughter Agnes was very upset about that because everybody else had gotten pictures exactly where they wanted it. And they were just, you know, super excited. But she was really upset that that didn't happen. And so the next day, we were taking a bus down to the lower part of the city because there was one church there that we wanted to see. And the way the bus tickets work in Assisi is you have an hour and a half on your first fare. And if you get back on the bus before that hour and a half is over, you don't have to pay again. And so we only wanted to see one little church and an hour and a half was going to give us plenty of time. So we took the bus down to the lower part of the city and we saw the church that we wanted to see. And then we got back on the bus just right in the nick of time to get clocked in so we wouldn't have to buy tickets again. Nice. And this bus goes through the whole lower city and passes through the train station. And at the train station, these two young women got on the train and they had backpacks on that had a Delta Airlines ticket on it. And my spirit kept saying, ask them if they're Americans. And my kids were tired of me talking to people. You know, I'm a chatter and I I talked to anybody on the street and my daughter would just roll her eyes and get embarrassed. And so I said, oh, I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to leave them alone. And my spirit kept saying, ask them if they're Americans. And after about the fourth time, I finally said, are you Americans? And they said, yes. I said, where are you from? And they said, Kansas. Well, we're from Kansas. We're from Wichita, Kansas. And I said, where in Kansas are you from? And they said, we're from Salina. And I said, oh my goodness, we're from Wichita. And we got talking. And eventually someone said, what church do you go to in Wichita? And I said, St. Thomas Aquinas is the church that we go to. And the one gal said, I'm the new art teacher at your school. Wow. And I said, no. And she said, yes. And these buses come every 15 minutes. We happen to be on the exact bus that these two women happened to get on after they got onto the train. And it was so much fun for my daughters. And it was so much fun for her when she came to the school and had her first meeting with the teachers. She said, and I met my first St. Thomas family when I was in Italy on a bus. (laughs) And it was such a fun thing for her. And it was such a fun thing for us. So we rode on the bus with them back up the hill to the old city and we got off at the same place. And again, my daughter Agnes had been wanting to find out where the actual bones of St. Agnes were. So the church was right where we got off the bus. And so we walked down to the church and we went into the church and I went up to the information desk and there were three women there. And I said, do any of you speak English? And one of them said, yes, I do. And she spoke 
beautiful, perfect English. And I said, my daughter is named after St. Agnes, and she really wants to know where exactly the relic bones of St. Agnes are inside this church. And this woman said, well, you're lucky I'm here today. She said, I am usually a volunteer here, but today was my day off. But I stopped in for a minute to drop something off. And let me tell you about St. Agnes. Wow. And so she took us to the chapel and she said, right behind here is where all of the bones of St. Agnes are, except for one part. And that's her skull. And she tells us the story of how the skull got separated from the rest of the relics and where the skull was. And it was just the biggest blessing for my daughter to be able to feel special because Everyone else had their moments where they felt special. Yeah. And so my daughter, Agnes, finally felt special. And this woman showed us all of the things. There were all these pictures that were on the walls that we didn't know what they were because there wasn't a lot of commentary and nothing was in English. And she showed us all these pictures of St. Agnes and these pictures of St. Clair. And then when she found out my other daughter was Claire, she went and she got us all of these photos and all of these brochures and started handing us everything and taking us through this beautiful church. And it just made the trip. This whole trip was just the biggest blessing. My children talk about it often. And I am so glad we had the opportunity to take them. And so we took each of our children to the homeland of the people that they were named after. And that's kind of my travel story. That's incredible. It sounds like an amazing trip. I'm sure it means so much to your children because it's an amazing opportunity to get out of the country and see some of these great places. But it's also so thoughtful of you to put this all together and you put so much thought and historical research into all these places that you wanted to go. It's just amazing of you to do that. It's a great gift to them. Oh, the planning was so much fun. It was such a blast to be able to think about where we were going to go and how many days we were going to spend in each place. And a lot of the times I paid a lot of money for English speaking tours because I knew my children were little. And if they didn't have someone telling them what they were seeing, they would miss a part of it. And so it was so much fun to find the English speaking tours and book the private drivers that took us to the different places. And it was just... It was so wonderful and planning it was almost as fun as being there. I like planning too in the sense that sometimes, especially if it's a place you don't know a lot about, doing a little bit of planning at least at minimum to find a couple of places that you want to go. I think it gets me really hyped up and I think it makes it more exciting when I actually get to the place. So personally, I definitely like planning as well. Oh, for sure. For sure. Well, that's a wonderful story. Thank you so much for sharing. Oh, it is my joy. I, I love to share this story because there's just so many blessings in it for us. It certainly sounds like it. And I know that your children will probably remember that for their entire lives. So that's really incredible of you guys to do that as a family. Yes. So I always wrap up by asking guests what their favorite thing is about travel. So what is your favorite thing about travel, Marie? My favorite thing about travel is realizing that the world is so much bigger than I am and that there's always something new to discover. Yeah, I think that's very true. It's kind of interesting because the world is so big and there are so many people moving through the world and living life in a different way. But interestingly, your story also shows how small the world is too. Right. And that and that is so true. And this is something I don't know. I feel like people need to travel with their children more. 
for us, it was a big sacrifice to spend so much money on on a trip. I mean, we joke we could have had a new kitchen or a car for these two weeks, but <laughs> I have no regrets about spending that kind of money on this trip because my children got the travel bug. They keep saying, mom, can we go to Barcelona for spring break? And I said, <laughs> maybe not this year, but maybe someday. And so now they have a hunger for that. And I think that there's knowledge and learning that you can get when you get out of your normal circle of life. And I just, I'm so grateful to travel with my children. And if you have listeners that have children, even if they're young, make the sacrifice and travel with them. The fruits are just amazing. That's incredible advice because I do think that a lot of folks hesitate to bring children traveling or to travel when their children are young. So it's good to know that it can be done and that it is fruitful because I think that a travel bug is something that you kind of learn at a young age. Like sometimes if you don't get that opportunity at a somewhat young age, you might never really think to go travel later on in life. For sure. For sure. And my children, I know my girls are already thinking, okay, what colleges can I go to that have semesters abroad? (laughs) Definitely. I understand that. Well, awesome, Marie. So where can we find you online or get in contact with you if we're interested in talking with you or learning more about you and what you do? Well, I have a website called Feed Your Family Tonight. And you can find me anywhere on Facebook at Feed Your Family Tonight or my website, Feed Your Family Tonight. And I'm on Instagram as at Marie Feebach. It's M-A-R-I-E. F-I-E-B-A-C-H. I'd love to have you follow me or just check in and DM me there. Great. And we can put those links in the show notes as well as on your guest page on transfo.com. Thank you. Well, awesome. Thank you so much, Marie. Oh, you're welcome. It was my pleasure. Thanks a million, Heather. Hey Globetrotters, thanks for listening to Trinspo, the travel inspiration podcast. If you loved this episode, be sure to share it with a friend. To support the pod and rock some swag while heading out on your next adventure, check out our new merch page at trinspo.com slash merch. You can always get more of us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and trinspo.com. Thanks for coming along for the journey. 